0: Thanks Jeff, that was really nice and we're going to miss you dearly when you leave uh, and no amount of money is going to get me up here trying to do that, so uh, sorry guys. But no, it's been a joy to serve alongside of you and to uh, and for your willingness just to come and spend a couple weeks with us and we're very thankful for all, all the people who come, all the teams that come every week throughout the summer to, to help us. Uh, to help us help you guys, and so praise God for that uh, the last time I was up here speaking to you guys, we uh, looked at the fall of man, we looked at the fall of man as it's told and taught to us in Genesis three. We looked at how first the devil the devil comes into the scene, and he he makes. Adam and Eve questioned God's word and then from questioning God's word Adam and Eve they added to God's word and they took uh, away from God's word and then we saw that they completely abandoned it and that they hid themselves from God and that God had had to seek them out and he was gracious to them and we We came to understand why there is sin and evil and corruption in the world. Why there are powerful forces of evil that are wreaking havoc today. And why humanity seems to be inclined to all evil. We noted that it is because of the devil, the father of lies, he is the root of all sin. And that Adam and Eve, they fell into sin because they succumbed to his lies. And so this, this is the story uh, or where we are uh, in the story of the fall. And today we're going to look at verses 14 and 15 that are up behind me and how right after the fall, God curses the tempter. He curses the devil. And then he has a word of hope for humanity. Instead of casting humanity into hell and destroying the whole world because of their sin, he was gracious to them and that he promises a savior from the seed of the woman who will come and crush the head of the serpent and defeat him. And so, with that, will you uh, read with me from Genesis 3, 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field, On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And here is our specific focus today, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And that is as far as we'll read today. Will you go with me now in prayer to God? Heavenly Father, we've just read your word your word that tells us why we're here today how we got here today Lord and your word gives us hope it gives us purpose in this life that without it there would be no purpose but all things would be vanity as the writer of Ecclesiastes said and so we thank you for your word for your revelation of yourself and your plan to us Lord you didn't have to do that but you did and now all people throughout the world hear of your, your revelation, Lord. Of your son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth to reconcile sinners to you. And so I pray today that we would grow in our understanding of what you are doing and the salvation that you offer to, to all people. And that those who believe would be encouraged in their faith and built up. And that those who do not believe, that they would see their sin the wickedness in your, your sight, and that they would flee to Jesus Christ as their Savior. Amen. So I'm going to start today by just asking a simple question. What does that mean? I will put enmity. Between you and the world. What does that mean? Enmity, yeah. So I'll give you a quick uh, answer to that, but I will get, I will get to that uh, later. So that... That word enmity basically means hostility. So God is saying uh, that he's going to put enmity between you, the devil, and the woman, and between the devil's offspring, his spiritual offspring, and the, the spiritual offspring of the woman. That from that point on, throughout all of history, there will be a hostility between God and the devil. There will be a hostility between God's people and Uh, The people who who hate God, if that makes sense. And so that is translated today, I mean, from my point of view, the world hates and despises the message of the gospel. It hates that message because it calls out sin. And the world uh, doesn't uh, like that. They want to go their own way. And so that's my short answer, Joan, and thanks for asking that. So I want to start with just a a simple question to to get started. And the question is, which side are you on? Are you on the the, the side of good or are you on the side of evil? And I want us to see that in this text, it's telling us there is uh, without the choosing of humanity two groups. Those who, again, as I said, are of the spiritual seed of the devil and those who are of the spiritual seed of the woman. Those who follow the ways of the world and those who follow the ways of God. And these two groups are opposed to each other. They are at odds with each other. Again, you, you don't have to look far to see this. The, the seed of the devil in the world today are those people who support wickedness and lawlessness. And on the other hand, the seed of the woman, they uphold righteousness in the law of God, and they oppose all sin. Do not, I don't want you to misunderstand this, uh, I'm not talking about a physical warfare that's going on here, a physical hostility, although that does arise, but I'm talking about a spiritual warfare. The warfare between God and and the powers and principalities of the devil. Not a war between flesh and blood, but a war that is waging between spiritual powers and principalities. The side of Christ and God and his word on the one hand, and redemption and salvation, against the side of the devil, the world, and the flesh. But though there are these two lines running throughout all of human history, there is a choice Uh, for all of us to make a choice that we all have to make will we continue in the line that we are going or will we switch sides will we if we're believers shipwreck our faith and prove ourselves to be of the line of the devil or will we on the other hand turn from our sin confessing our sin to God with sorrow and follow God through the Savior Jesus Christ just as humanity and Adam and Eve chose for destruction and death, so too do all who hear the proclaimed word of God have to choose. So, will you choose to bow your head before God? Or will you serve the devil as you serve yourself? Will you plead for God's mercy and grace, or will you harden your heart? All people, as I've said, are already on one side or the other, even right now. But having been confronted with the word of God, you now have the opportunity to pick a side. And so under the theme, the gospel first proclaimed, first proclaimed in verse 15, the promise that one would come who will crush the head of the serpent, under that theme the gospel first proclaimed, I want us to just see three things from this text. The curse of the serpent, the enmity or hostility between two seeds, and then I want us to see the victory in Jesus Christ. So first, the curse of the serpent. As we noted before, Satan is indwelling the body of the serpent, of a snake. And he he tempts Adam and Eve, And they fall. And because of this, sin enters into the world. Disease, war, and the sting of death follow the whole earth and humanity as it is full of corruption. And because this happens, the devil, the tempter, thinks he has won. The great deceiver thinks he has won. Adam and Eve fell into sin and now the whole world is corrupted uh, and under the judgment of sin. And Satan thinks that he has won. But Satan has not won. And a curse is pronounced on him right from the get-go. God, you see, he could have pronounced a curse on Adam and Eve, but he, he does not. There wouldn't even be a need for a trial for God to do this. What Adam and Eve did, it was clearly a, a violent violation against his law and his will. But God, the two greatest words one could ever say, but God, even though he judges humanity in the following verses, overall, he acts as a physician or a doctor towards humankind. But towards the devil, he has no mercy, and he pronounces a curse, a curse that will inevitably result in an eternal fatal blow to his head god curses the devil the serpent instead of humanity and you see from this text that the serpent is cursed from all cattle and so as a picture of this curse the, the serpent the snake itself will crawl and slither on his belly for all of history as a picture of god's curse a reminder of god's curse so the serpent is a, a symbol of Satan. From, from that day forward, he was brought low uh, to its belly as this, a sign of the lowest degradation. He is now to eat the dust of the ground. Can you, can you imagine anything worse than eating dust or dirt from the ground? And he is to crawl around in it. He is cursed to the ground as a reminder of humanity's uh, sin and its destruction of the sting of death that results from it. Now many people will say, well, the serpent before uh, the curse had these little legs, these little caterpillar legs. Uh, but but I, I, I don't think that that's true. Rather, I think what's going on here is simply a matter of bringing the serpent of whom the, the devil used to tempt humanity back to its belly, back to its proper place, namely to the ground from where it it perched up to overthrow God. And so God, what he does is he throws that serpent back to the place where it came from, back to its starting point from where it tempted Adam and Eve and tried to overthrow God. All of this is a picture of what God does and did do to the tempter, the devil himself. He curses the devil. He pronounces his, his judgment, On him. He puts the devil back in his place, the place of complete and utter subordination to God. Now that God has put the devil in his place, his place of subordination, he now foretells the future effects of what the devil has done. The future effects of what the devil has done. There will now be a people who follow uh, the devil. In their rebellion against God, those who despise God, those who hate God, those who do not heed to his command, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. On the other hand, there will be those who do believe in God, those who turn from their sin and turn to God. So we see there are two seeds. And these two seeds will be in a constant state of enmity or hostility uh, towards each other. And so secondly, let's consider that. Let's consider enmity or hostility between two seeds. Verse 15 says, I, I will put enmity. And so we see that God takes the initiative here. The emphasis is on the pronoun I. I will put enmity between you and the woman. God comes to them, to Adam and Eve, in the cool of the day to take the initiative. Now that, that's striking. They just violated God's will, disobeyed. And what does God do? He comes to them in the cool of the day. He doesn't come to them in a thunderous uh, storm or in fire or in a hurricane like we see in other places of scripture, but he comes in the cool of the day. And he he does not abandon them. He does not condemn them to hell, but he approaches them. He draws near to them. This drawing near to Adam and Eve in their sin is God's grace. Grace, which is undeserved favor, complete undeserved favor, favor. He does not erupt in anger, but he judges the serpent first, or curses the serpent first, then judges Eve and then Adam. And in so doing, he shows mercy towards humanity, a mercy that triumphs over judgment and curse. And so God, in his sovereignty and his control over all things, he brings humanity back to his side declaring that from the seed of the woman will come from the human race a people who are on the side of God. That those people who are on God's side will be separated from the world. They will be a people not like the world. And because of this, those whom he calls from out of the world will suffer. They will suffer much because of the conflict between uh Uh, the conflict that they have with Satan, the world, and the flesh, but that nevertheless, these people, all who believe in Jesus Christ, will come out in the end in victory. Humanity will go through suffering to glory, through struggle to victory, through the cross to a crown, through a state of humiliation to that of exaltation. This glorious victory will come about through the crushing of the serpent's head. The text says that his head will get uh, bruised, but that word literally means crushed. His head will get crushed under the heel of someone coming from the seed of the woman. And this is the lowest point, the lowest point one could come to, being crushed underfoot. How despicable is that? I mean, we, we often say, my friend stepped on me. My buddies or my whatever, they, they stepped on me. Treated me like trash. That is because to be stepped on is the lowest point one can get. This is the picture here. The serpent is cursed through, uh, to defeat through its enmity and conflict against humanity. Again, the serpent is cursed to defeat. That defeat is promised by God. When? Right after they sinned. Right after Adam and Eve sinned. He's cursed to defeat through the enmity or hostility that is there uh, between him and humanity. Now just like a pit little picture of this enmity. We know that there is natural hostility between humans and snakes, right? Humanity Hate snakes. We're scared of them. We want to kill them when we see them. because Why? Because snakes are poisonous. Th- their venom is poisonous. And so, and so too, the, the snake naturally is hostile towards humanity. It bites at them. It snaps at humanity. And so humanity is naturally inclined to hate serpents. We, we abhor them. Even those who, who like snakes and get them as pets strike horror in most of us. There will be such hatred that both humanity and the serpent, the seed of the serpent as well, fight each other. The serpent strikes at us, and we seek to destroy him. But the interpretation, of we, as we have noticed, should not stop here. It, it should move now to the author of sin, the devil. The punishment is on the devil. The devil whom humanity made a relationship with when they succumbed to his temptation. But God, what is he doing here? He's canceling out that relationship between humanity and the serpent. And he's putting enmity and hostility between the two. And so here, in the midst of a hostility and enmity, is the divine promise of God. God sovereignly puts hostility between the two, and then through that enmity and that hostility will come one who will defeat the devil. Did this not happen? I think it did. Jesus, who came from the line of David, was born in Bethlehem, suffered his whole life, was despised, was spit at, was mocked, was persecuted, and then died the worst death one could die on the cross. Nails between his hands and his feet. I think it happened that through this hostility, this hatred of God, will come a savior of the world. Through the hostility between Satan and his spiritual offspring and God and his spiritual offspring will come the one who brings the final blow and brings about victory. All of this can really be understood in the, under the theological term, the antithesis. The antithesis, which literally means against thesis or against a certain position. The church against the world. Not, not the, the, the outward people who might go to church, but those who are part of God's elect people, chosen from eternity. That's the church. And that church is against the world. The people of God against the people of the world. Those who call out to God through Jesus Christ against those who follow the devil. Or as Augustine puts it, the city of man against the city of God. The devil against God. And and we see this throughout all of Holy Scripture. Just open any book and you will see uh, the hostility between God's people and the world. Right away. Who were the first two children of Adam and Eve? Right. And what happened? Cain was hostile towards his brother Abel who offered uh, better sacrifices, sacrifices that God required. Again, we see Jacob and Esau, hostility between the two. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Moses against Pharaoh. Israel against Canaan. David against Goliath. We see this antithesis all throughout the Bible we see that the people of God are separate they're set apart from the world and today the preaching of the word is hated by the world I just the other day had someone walk by and and I was handing out tracts to passerbys just trying to ask them if they had heard about Jesus Christ or would like to talk about them another lady walks by and she said don't take that tract from them they, they, they hate homosexuals. The world hates the preaching of the word of God because it calls out sin. Now, I told her, I said, we don't. We actually don't. We love them. We support them uh, by giving them food. We don't support their lifestyle. But we have many people who live that way who come to our services. And, we, and they know that we respect them and that they uh, are welcome here. So the preaching of the word is hated by by the world. And the world is hostile towards God. It's hostile towards Christ. Why? Because Christ is exclusive. The only way to salvation is through Christ. It's not through the prophet Muhammad. It's not through the Hindu gods. It's not through whatever other religion. It's only through Christ. What is preached by the world is also hated by Christians. I, w- I want to be careful, but I can think of many examples of the, the worldview, the ideologies that the world is preaching that it's trying to force on us. I abhor them against the sanctity of life, for instance. The church hates the anti-God teachings of the world. And so, as we see here, there, there are no casual observers. There's no neutral party. It's not as if you could say, yep, from the outside, there are these two uh, spiritual seeds going on in the hearts of all humanity, but, but I'm not part of any of them. I'm neutral. No. You're either on the one side or you're on the other. You're either a follower of your, your, your flesh, the world, and the devil, or you're a follower of God, Jesus Christ, and his word. And so the warning then to the Christian is, be careful. Do not be conformed to the world. Do not give in to their lies and follow their teachings. The devil is your greatest enemy. You are called to fight against him with the word of God. That's like a two-edged sword in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Contend against him. When the world tells you things, line it up with the Bible. Is that what scripture teaches? And so contend against him and be assured of your victory in Christ. Then the call to the world, then it's simple. It's repent of your evil and your sinful ways and turn to God. Humble yourself before Him. Submit to His will and His commands. And I want to note here that, uh, again, because there are no neutral parties, the idea of a universal salvation Uh, for all people, is put to an end. There is clearly in this text a seed of the devil and the seed of the woman. Those who follow the devil to hell and those who, through Jesus Christ, enter into heaven. God saves the seed of the woman, but he has no intention of saving the brood of vipers. God condemns the evil seed, and he saves the holy seed. And so it is the children of the devil up against the children of God. The children of the devil, they they come through the line of Cain and they are of a reprobate mind and they will culminate in what the Bible says is the Antichrist. That one leader who will come, uniting the nations against God prior to the return of Christ. And that also means that the children of God come from Adam's seed, All the way through Christ. And so there is a positive relationship with God. And a negative relationship with God. The covenant with God has been violated by Adam. And an alliance with the devil has come into the world. But God maintains his relationship with humanity. And he does so through a savior. And destroys the alliance with Satan. And again. From the seed of the woman will come the greatest son, the son of man, the son of God, who will come and conquer the evil power of sin. This is exactly what Adam and Eve believed with childlike faith. They didn't have this scientific theory, this understanding of everything. No, a childlike faith. They looked forward into the future to a savior who would come. That doesn't necessarily... uh, Mean that they they knew what this Savior was going to look like or what was going to happen, but they believed the promise of God in this text, the first promise of the gospel in the Bible, in the first book. Get that. This is the gospel, the good news from God, and it is what they believed. And by believing this, by faith, trusting in this Savior, it was counted to them as righteousness. Though they were sinful and unrighteous in the sight of God, in their nature, faith in Christ gave them a righteousness. And so this Savior, Jesus Christ, saved them. And so too is it the same thing for everybody who came after them. The Old Testament, a lot of people think uh, the Old Testament is a book for Jewish people and that the New Testament is a book for Christians. But that's not true. If you read the Old Testament, you will see in the prophets, in Moses, in Uh, here in Genesis, you'll see that they all looked forward to a promised Savior. And that in the New Testament, that promised Savior came. He was the fulfillment of that promise. And that faith in Him, trusting in Him, is your salvation. It's not your works. The whole Old Testament is full of God commanding Israelite to do what? Obey His law. And then what did they do? They disobeyed. The whole point of the Old Testament is to show you that you cannot obey God and earn salvation, but that it is through Christ alone. Christ alone. And that is the last thing we will touch on, victory in Christ. As I insinuated and touched on, I believe that this is the first revealing or revelation of Christ in the Bible. It is the proto-euangelion as they say. It is the first gospel appearance. And again, it comes immediately after the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. He fell into sin. He plunged all of humanity into total corruption, loss of fellowship with God, and death. Yet, the moment Adam fell, God maintains his covenant relationship uh, but, uh, with, with humanity yet at, at once at once he uh, he begins the work of salvation in Christ alone by grace you see that's wonderful certainly Adam and Eve would not have searched out God in fact what did they do after they sinned it says they hid themselves from God It's not something that we could have done. We could have never worked our way back to God, but he came to them. He came to them and begins the work of salvation in Christ through history. He proclaims the holy gospel as he announces the utter defeat of the devil. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall crush thy head and thou shalt crush its heel. This is the whole gospel in that one verse. And so the entire unfolding of the revelation of the gospel that uh, comes throughout the century uh, is nothing short of the unfolding of the riches of this mother promise, the first utterance of the gospel. God promised victory over Satan. This promise, as I said, it is the only medicine which could recover the lost and restore life to the dead who were headed for destruction and hell God hurls judgment at the devil God promises a savior who will come and crush the head of that devil someone from the woman's seed who will bring the fatal blow to the devil again what follows after this in Genesis in all of the books that follow it are but an unfolding and an, an organic development of that promise right there. It's the blossoming, the, the blooming of that original promise. Someone will come who will re- re- reverse the destructive work of the devil, and he himself will destroy the devil. Read with me in Isaiah 17 or 7 verse 14. There the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall uh, call him his name, Emmanuel, God with us. Turn to Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace, and turn to isaiah fifty three uh, four through twelve, surely he has borne our what, our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet what did we do? We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was bruised for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement. That brought us peace. Peace with God. And with his wounds. We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him. Who? Jesus Christ. The iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The Lord shall prosper in his hand. Jesus is born from the seed of the woman. Fully God, fully man. And he is bruised by the devil on the cross as he dies, as Matthew 27, verse 50 states. And on that cross, he crushes the serpent's head. And he reverses what the devil did. The sin and evil in the world are defeated by Jesus Christ at the cross and in his resurrection. Jesus is the believer's righteousness and redemption. We now have the gospel shining bright as the noonday sun. Where once Adam and Eve could just see the sun coming up on the horizon, we see its full radiance. And now, just to conclude, some of you experience the enmity that is between you and the devil as the offspring of Eve. You are experiencing hatred of your sin you experiencing hatred of the devil in the world. You, you, you hate those things that cling to you. Get this. In Christ, you have overcome your sin. You have overcome your flesh. You have overcome the world. You have overcome the devil. This is the, the work of God in you through the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. You might say maybe, well... I'm overcome by my sin. I sin all the time and I feel as if sin has won the victory in my life. Well, if that is you, then hear this. Even if there is a small inkling of hatred of sin in your life, even if there is a small seed of hatred towards sin and love for Christ, then this enmity, this hostility, God has worked in your heart. And so be encouraged. Be hopeful. Believe the gospel. Believe that your sins are forgiven and that your sins will continue to be forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ and by his blood. One man says this. In the light of this holy gospel, the heirs of the promise walk through the darkness of the present night of sin and corruption and death. The way is dark indeed. And the battle with the children of darkness in this world is often hard and fierce. But God, but God fulfills his promise, works his uh, work of grace and deliverance and causes the light of the gospel of the promise to strike an ever clearer path through the darkness of the night. God calls you, to believe believe as Re- Re- revelation 12 says that you have conquered the devil by the blood of Christ the battle is still being waged but it is only a matter of time just like when the allies invaded germany the battle uh, was won but there was it still had the the full realization of it still had to be accomplished we know the outcome of in Christ, yet engage in the battle through suffering. The bruises will continue. That serpent will strike at your heel and you're suffering them and those bruises even today. No doubt in my mind that you are. But Jesus doesn't tell you that you're not going to face hostility. He says you will face hostility from the world and the devil. Actually, Jesus promises this to you. He says the world will hate you The world will despise you. And so, this is what you as a Christian were destined for. In this life, you will have many troubles. But just know you're following the same path as Jesus from suffering and humiliation to glory and exaltation. And now, to those of you who are against God and and under his condemnation, even now, there is a question for you the same question at the beginning. Which side are you going to be on? You see that God is sovereign over all that happens. You can only control a little bit of your life, but a lot of it is out of your control. But see that God treats you as as a a moral and a rational human being. you're, You're not a robot. Therefore, if you have heard the word preached from me now or from another minister somewhere else, uh, you, you are without excuse, you see. You, you have heard the pronouncement of judgment on your sin. Uh, and you've heard that pronouncement of God's judgment towards you who are separated from God. And, and on, on the other hand, guess what? You, you've heard of the mercy, the abundant grace of God. And the promises, promise of a Savior and then the Savior who did come that we look back to. You, you've heard that. And so you, you have an opportunity today. An opportunity to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Your Savior, Jesus, apart from anything else. Or you can just continue Living your life. Just going through the motions. Following your fleshly desires. Following the ways of the world. Following the temptations of the devil. But see what that, that will get you. It will get you nowhere. And your life will be meaningless. Just read Ecclesiastes. Solomon who had everything under the sun. And he said, guess what? It's all meaningless. It's all vanity. All is vanity under the sun. So apart from God. Your testimony is. Eat, drink, and be merry because I die tomorrow. Do you you want your life to go uh, as meaningless as ever as a, a vapor of water? Or do you want to be part of God's story and let God reshape your story by his grace? Again, repent and believe in Jesus. And so we see That the Old Testament, guess what? It ain't a book that's about an angry God, a God who is not gracious. But we see that right in the third chapter of the Old Testament, God's mercy and grace. God didn't have to to call to to save some. He didn't have to uh, effectively call those through the power of the Holy Spirit to believe in Jesus Christ. He He didn't have to do that to anybody. We all deserve hell. Because he is a holy God and we violated his will in Adam and in our sins today. He didn't have to save anybody. But he chooses to be gracious and merciful to some. What a wonderful God that we have, that we all know exists. And so let us go now to him and thank him for his word. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we have a time to open your word. I personally thank you. I, I Studying this has been so much fun for me. It's enriched my understanding of you, my love for Jesus. It has helped me see my sin uh, more and more and how grievous and, and wicked it is. But how loving you are that you save sinners, Lord. And so I pray that although... I'm not maybe the best speaker and I don't always say things the best or have the best logical order through my messages that we might take something away from this, Lord. That we might see our sin, see our need for a savior and see clearly in your written revelation of yourself that you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for the sins of the world. And that many today who are living in unbelief, even Christians who have maybe pushed you aside, that they would be revamped, that the fire, the zeal for Jesus would come alive in them again, Lord. Do this by your Holy Spirit, Lord. And then help us to be assured of our faith, not to doubt, but to look at Jesus all the moments of our days, Lord. And I pray this all in your son's name, amen. Okay, thank you guys. Uh, What have the volunteers...